Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. week this week I think summer is finally coming it's going to be here hey open your Bibles if you could to Deuteronomy I have kind of a one-off sermon I'm between series right now but I decided this morning I'm gonna make this a a two-week series about uh, influence really to our children and how that affects our nation and everything else Uh, so I'm calling this uh, repeating history and uh, I, I've been uh, studying a lot lately on just our culture and you know, trying to get uh, frameworks clear in my mind about our stance of where we're going as a church because I feel we're heading into headwinds right now. And I, I think it's a, a, personally, I think it's a, it's a temporary thing. It, this is only gonna last a, a, maybe another year or so. There's gonna be a shift but I do believe that the ball's moving down the field culturally in a way that will not be beneficial for our country. And for me personally, I love America. It is Im- as imperfect as it is. I mean, my neighborhood is a microcosm of America, and it's imperfect, trust me. And they're probably looking over at me saying they're imperfect too, because we all are. But we're together in this amazing 250-year experiment of, of seeing what might happen when you take kingdom principles construct them into an imperfect human earthly document called the constitution and seeing how that may touch a nation and what might grow and arguably America has grown to become one of the greatest it will be known as one of the greatest and hopefully continue one of the greatest uh, civilizations or expressions of civilization in the world as imperfect as it is we are learning to love better Trust me, racism is being reduced. I love what someone said this week. They said it's being swept into a corner and will ultimately be uh, eliminated, if possible, at times in various locations throughout this nation. I only say that because racism will never be totally eradicated because there's humans around. And humans are imperfect. There's some pretty stupid people out there that have ideas that are wrong. And the church really needs to stand up strongly supporting all people of all races and all people born in all situations. I mean, we love them. We care for them. We may not agree with everything that someone does down the street, around the corner. I don't, you know, you may not agree with what your brother-in-law does. But we're in a position of saying we're going to stand strong in the midst of it, in the midst of this cultural war, and we're going to get through this. And I really feel we've we've got an ability. We're at a pivot point right now. We've got an ability to stop this thing, and I'll, I, maybe I'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but I think we've got a 16-year respite that's coming up that we have an opportunity to go into where there's going to be a resting of so many things that have been happening throughout this country, a stopping of a flood, and an increase of the presence of God that is the fastest way to change this nation. If you want this nation to, honor, uh, to operate honorably, it's going to take a people that have constructs doesn't mean that everyone's going to follow Jesus. But they're going to follow the constructs of righteousness because there has to be uh, some kind of an anchor in the midst of all this. And I believe in absolutes. I believe in absolutes on this side of heaven. 
I believe in gravity. You jump off a building, it's going to be a problem. Because there's laws that just can't be changed. They're kind of absolute. Yeah, you can bend the laws. You can even break the laws at times. But generally speaking, gravity is strong here on this planet. So let me read a few verses to you out of Proverbs chapter 6, if you could go there. And then we're going to jump over to Deuteronomy real quick. But uh, we train ourselves by acting and repeating things. You know, I talked about this really off and on for about a month, about algorithms. I just read an article this morning, totally off the, you know, just one that popped up, and I started reading it because the, the man out there, the people out there, know when I read what I want to read, so they feed it to me on my phone. And we'll talk about that over the next week or two. But... Uh, Actually, they believe now scientists, let's stick with science, scientists believe that the whole universe is a growing intellectual algorithm. Something about it, it's constantly learning about itself. Now, I don't know if you've studied anything about the universe, at least what we know of it. Well, we're talking a billion galaxies. We are part, we're a little, little spark, a little part. Our sun is just a little spark in one galaxy. But there's all kinds of them out there, you know. And it's overwhelming when you read science and what they're getting from the Hubble telescope and, and, and the exploration on Mars and things like that. It is mind-blowing. And for some, it's probably discouraging, like, oh, my, I'm nobody. I'm just a little speck on a little planet, on a little star that's one of billions of stars out there. Or you can say, wow, God is way bigger than what I thought he was. And he is, and yet he still knows me in my inward parts. He knows about my hair. He knows about my doings. He knows when I ascend to heaven or I descend into hell, he will be there with me. That's the intimacy of this amazing eternal God that we serve. And so we learn by, we are trained by acting and repeating. We respond, we, we want to come to a place in training, just like policemen, just like firemen, you know, when there's a tragedy, police turn to the tragedy. Others run away from the tragedy. When there's a fire, firemen go to the fire, go in the burning building. Everyone else is running out of the burning building. Christians are called to be firemen. You're called to be people that you turn to the fire, you turn to the difficulty, you turn to the challenge because you've been trained to do that. Now, it takes time. We are talking about it in our worship band this morning. It takes time to get a certain training. You'll respond in a right way. Otherwise, there can be tragedy out of it. You've got to be able to discern a situation and know what to do in that situation in a microsecond. If you're a policeman, you're a fireman or whatever, you've got to be able to do that. Not everyone can do that. It takes time and training where you go through all kinds of tests and everything else. I'm telling you, you are being tested by the Holy Spirit. And if you yield to it, you are being trained for the culture that we're in right now. God is preparing you. And some of you go, oh, I don't want to talk about these things. I don't understand all the language. That's part of the, of the evil aspect of the culture that's moving against you right now is to silence you, to change language you're familiar with so that you will not speak or have, feel any confidence to speak. And it's just that moment that God wants to touch the church with a prophetic heart, a heart that speaks things they don't even know not what they're speaking. I love when that happens. When there's a flow that comes out of you, you, you cannot discern it. In fact, later on, you can't even repeat it. 
I've had people come up to me after I prophesy over them. They go, "Would you? You know, I didn't write that down. I didn't record that. Could you tell me what you said?" And I said, oh, "I don't even remember who you are." You know, I, I I don't say that. That's offensive, you know. But I go, uh, "You know, I I don't actually." I said, "There's something about a pumpkin. I think that was in it. I don't know if that helps." And they're like, "No, not really. It doesn't help," you know. I said, well, that's why you need to carry your smartphone around so you can record these prophetic words. But the truth is, prophetic words are meant to be remembered, but also the word itself does something inside of you. A lot of it is about what's happening in the midst of the prophetic words. Sometimes we get focused on what's saying, what's being said, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you've got to live in two worlds. You've got to know that, okay, I, I see what's being said, but there's something that's been done in the engine of my soul. The Jehovah mechanic is in there working on my soul right now, and I'm being transformed in the presence of God. So we learn through repetition. We learn through, that's why we do prophetic training and all the Sozo yesterday. Over 100 people were here to be trained for Sozo yesterday. That's great. The Kims, the Kims in our church were on the move. Kim Snyder was in Canton during a Freedom Weekend. Kim Banks was here doing a Sozo. So just change your name to Kim and amazing things are going to open up in your life. But what you, you do things and then we practice them. We practice the prophetic. We got a lot of ridicule on that 40 years ago when we first started doing that. People are, you can't practice spiritual things. It's like, well, why not? Why not? It's a gift, but use the gift. Learn how to use it properly. Learn how situations and how you should minister and all those kinds of things. When you do that, we want our prophetic teams to be ready that when someone says, I need a prophetic word, they're there like, you know, they're not there like, I don't, I don't know, I need to pray about it for a while. I mean, no, boom, 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 they're ready to go. Why? They've repeated something in their life that's become a part of who they are. And so here's what I want to show you in Scripture in Proverbs 6, and this is especially for moms since next Sunday is Mother's Day, and I'll continue this next Sunday. Look at verse 20, chapter 6, Proverbs, verse 20. This is my son. Now remember, the title of this is Repeating History. It's really repeating his story, history. It says in Proverbs 6, 20, it says, My son, keep your father's command. I always love this second part. I haven't used it recently on Mother's Day because it, it's just got, it kind of feels like a negative connotation, but it's really not. So we keep the command of the Father, but we do not forsake the law of the mother. Did you understand that mothers are the law? They're a picture of the law. You know, Cindy said it a few minutes ago. What was that little quote you gave? Uh, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Yeah, that's one of the mantras for her life. Actually, she said that to me, but it didn't make sense, but I knew what she was saying. So, Mothers have a law. And the Bible's actually comparing it to the Torah. I mean, you can see, you can see a guy who's done a mass murderer or whatever. They interview him on TV, you know, and, and he always mentions mom, you know. There's always something about, you know, what do you think you're and even policemen use this, you know, you know, what about your mother? What's your mother think about what you're involved? I mean, they do it to get you to confess because something about mentioning the mom, mention the dad, it's like, oh, whatever, you know. But mention the mom, and it's like, oh, yeah. I don't want my mom to be bad. I mean, people come to Mother's Day just because their mom asked them to come to church because they'll be taken out <laughs> if they don't do that. So 
Do not forsake the law of your mother. This is wisdom. This is a wisdom book, Proverbs. It says, bind them continually. That word bind is really amazing. It's really, the only thing I can think of in our culture that would attach to it is tattoo it. And so think of it in this terms. It says, tattoo them continually upon your heart. Those things your mom said, particularly a mom who's following Jesus Christ, and even moms that are not following Jesus Christ usually have some kind of framework of moral understanding that comes from the Word of God. And then the moms that don't, I mean, God's going to give you new mothers. There'll be spiritual mothers that come into your life and help you be able to attach to these things that'll keep you strong throughout your life. And it says, tie them around your neck. That doesn't sound safe. You continually tie the law of mom around your neck. Look at verse 22. It's almost prophetic. It says, and when you roam, some of you are roamer, rambling men, as we would say in the 70s, wanderers, and when you roam, they will lead you. And when you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. Do you get the sense that this is all around 24-7? The few things that I did that would be considered horrible, particularly when I was a teenager, I mean, I can't tell you, my mother was there with me. Not physically. But boy, when I was involved in it, I always hear my mom praying in tongues in the closet. And for some reason, she picked my closet to pray in. I didn't really understand that until about a year ago. I always wonder, why she pray in my closet? Why she pray in my closet? Nelson, one day I thought, oh, I get now why she was praying in my closet. So it says, when you awake, you, they will speak with you. Look at verse 23. For the commandment, this law of mom, is a lamp, and the law a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So Moses, when he had gone through the wilderness with the children of Israel, we know the story, and it's very important. I want you to hear it in these next few minutes because this is the template of our life. This really speaks to what we are in the midst of a culture that is eroding and erasing much of the spiritual history that is in America right now, let alone the natural history that is here with what's happened in our country historically. So before he leaves, he, he basically speaks a message. I don't think he was intending to write a book, but it came out to be Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means second law. And so it's, it's Moses speaking before they cross over from a wilderness into the full promises of God, which is represented by the Jordan River. Before they do that, Dad, the patriarch, Moses, speaks to the millions of people and he gives this sermon that is the entire book of Deuteronomy. So don't anyone complain about my 40-minute message here today. It's not going to be a 30-chapter book. So, and he speaks that, and in it, he starts saying similar things. He, he wants them to not forget. He wants them to remember. In fact, when they cross over, he actually marks the crossover by every tribe leader taking a stone, carrying it over, and they built this 12-stone this stone stack to always be and even says in Deuteronomy and it is here till this day speaking of the time that he that was written that they put this as a memorial to remember that we came out of darkness 
into light. And we did that in three phases. We came out of bondage into a place of discovery of identity in the wilderness, separated by crossing through the Red Sea, which was baptismal waters. And after wandering in the wilderness, we come to a place in our spiritual walk. We cross over a river called Jordan into Ohio. Well, in, in the, the Underground Railroad, it was Ohio. The Jordan River was Ohio River. But in this case, we, we cross over in your life. You are learning your identity. You are in bondage. You are learning your identity. You are about to cross over something that's going to take faith in your life to step over in, into water and watch the waters part just like it did with the Red Sea. This is like a mini Red Sea. Cross over, and you get to the other side, and it's filled with the promises of God. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. But there are walled cities, and there's giants in the land. Why did God do that? Why did he get rid of them before we got there? Because the walk in Jesus Christ, the battle for who you are in Christ, is going to last to your last breath here on earth. You will be taking down walled cities. You'll be taking down, I'm speaking figuratively, of course. You'll be taking down walled cities. You'll be taking down giants in your life because you are dispossessing evil forces in order to bring the goodness of God because you remember who you are. I was reading a book this week. I brought it with me, and I'll show it to you in a minute. I was reading a book this week that talks about how in communism, this communism spread, of course, across, as we know it now, across the Soviet Union, what was the Soviet Union, the Eastern Bloc nations of Europe, which was Hungary and Romania and all those various countries that are over there, all the way up to Estonia and Lithuania and so forth. I mean, these, they were, they were, a lot of young people don't understand it now, what, what it was like, but I have friends that lived there during that time. One good friend in Estonia, Mart Vahi, was a very good friend of mine in Canada for a number of years. Amazing man who was sent back over to Estonia and really was a part of the restoration of Estonia after being in a place of communism robbed everyone of their identity. And they believe that if we can eliminate their history and eliminate their story, we can dictate their future. And what they did in what is now Russia and the Soviet Union is they would call you in to find out how much you knew about history. And the more you knew about history, the more likely you were to be killed. Because they didn't want anyone knowing the history. If you know your history and you repeat your history, you will learn from it and not repeat the mistakes in your future. And so in America, there's, we feel the tension of that right now. The whole cancel culture. The digging into your past. The digging into your life. The eliminating of statues across the nation. I'm not saying I'm totally against that. I think there's certain statues may, maybe need to be put in museums. But, but I think, honestly, I'm going to fight for us to remember our negative past. I think it's important we understand we blew it in some places. We had some things that began with the birth of this nation, like slavery. We need to understand that. We need to find solutions to that. And we're still 200 and some years later attempting to do that uh, to greater or lesser ways. So we look at, so do we, eliminate, do we eliminate anything that marked that period of history? I say no. I say some things we may need to repurpose it or replace it, but we look at it, and it needs to be a reminder so we can tell our children and say, you know, and if you're African-American, this is so scriptural right now that you can say exactly, 
I was a slave, but God brought us out. And he will bring us out, and he will bring us in too. That's the message I would have for the black community, but the message I have for me is the same thing. I was a slave. I was a spiritual slave, but the Lord brought me out, crossed me through the Red Sea onto another side of finding out my identity. Because if you know who you are and you know where you've come from, very few things are going to be able to topple you over. So Moses knew that. Moses was about to die. He knew he couldn't cross over. And so in this last sermon, he says, look, i got to tell you guys, man, you need to remember this stuff. Look at chapter 6 in Deuteronomy. Chapter 6 in Deuteronomy, second law. He says this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's too long, but I want to give you a good chunk of it. This is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. So in other words, he's doing it as I'm doing it right now. You must know these things. There are certain things that need to be attached to your life or you will not survive what's happening in the culture and the erosion of it in America right now. Your children especially will not survive. You send them off to schools where they're going to brainwash them with ideology that says even now in our country, laws that say in certain states that they can basically take the word of your child and not even inform you of what's going on so that they might have an abortion or they might have a, a, an operation for transgender, that the parents are eliminated out of the authority line in that. And you say that will never happen. It's already happening and it will happen in America. And so if your children are not undergird with an understanding of who Jesus is, who America is, and it's a supreme dream that stands over this country, and I'm not mixing up kingdom with America. I'm just telling you that, that this is a great nation God's given us, so I do have a, a responsibility to protect this nation as much as I can in the same way that others did in Nazi Germany, others did in the Soviet Union, in the Soviet Union, the Catholic Church held strong but went underground. Six, seven decades later, it was able to merge in great strength because they, they basically went in and mimicked church, Christian, Jesus culture among their family. They presented plays and went house to house so everyone could remember what happened to the Israelites. Everyone could remember what their Polish history was. Everyone could remember all the aspects of who they are, where they're called, what God said about them, where they came from, who died and shed their blood for them, where they are right now so that they might move into their future. When they emerged, they came out in strength. You can get a lot of criticism about the Catholic Church, but they've survived a whole lot in 2,000 years. And they taught their kids to stand strong, to believe in Jesus. They actually created rituals that would help everyone understand the simple ritual of communion. is not just a ritual, it is a spear ritual. When you take that bread and you take that juice, you are doing something that has been done since Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's important to remember. It's important to remember you and who you are. April's a key month for me, and in April, uh, historically, it's, for some reason, I don't know how, why these things happen, but April's been a, a big month for me throughout my whole history. I can name you a quick 10 different things that are major in my life. I got ordained in, in April. I moved to Canada in April. I, we bought the, this property and the property in Middleburg Heights, April 1st, 2003. I mean, I go on and on. April, my father was born in April. My father passed away in April. I mean, just every day is kind of marked. And just a couple weeks ago, or last, last week actually, April 27th, 
which marks the day when I started my first church right here in Brunswick in 1980, 41 years ago. And it's a sacred day for me. It's a sacred day for me because I was 23 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. It was the grace of God. I mean, we we handed out 10,000 brochures at the Kmart door. The the manager gave us permission for some reason. Two 23-year-old guys starting a church. We handed 10,000 brochures about this great church that was going to start. didn't even exist yet. But it was going to start, you know, that's what I was doing when I was 23. And then in our spare times, we played asteroids on a machine over there at uh, Laurel Square, popping quarters into that machine, playing asteroids, you know, just kind of have something a little bit different. And then we would go back to planning a church. You know, we had a lot of fun. I had a Jewish friend of mine named Bob Cohen, and we got inspired in seminary, wanted to plant a church in Brunswick, so we did it. And so we, we went at it, you know, we just, we just started, and, and basically it's part of my history. And so in April, it comes back to me. It, the memories are restored. I've declared it a sacred month years ago and thought, this is amazing. And so now I actually anticipate April. I anticipate every month, but April's special. It's like something's going to happen. And this past month, two different people, one in Ashtabula and one in New York, had dreams about me, sent me the dreams, and the two dreams that they sent me, I don't, one guy I don't even really know, and the other guy I know pretty well, but I haven't talked to him in a while, but the true two dreams that they sent me had components of two dreams that I had in 02 and 06, because I write, I write my dreams down. I mean, the, they, were, they were not exact, but they were very close. I mean, how does people outside, and that's in the month of April. So when I go in the month of April, it's, it's a restoration and memory of what, what I have done by the grace of God, who I am by the grace of God, and where we're going. It was April 13th that we crossed the border into Canada with my two children. Back then I had two children, my wife, and we, we were going there. We left Cleveland, went up there. The Lord called us to go there for 10 years to be a part of revival that would touch the nations of the world. That's all I was moving on. That was it. So we moved at a big 22-foot rider truck, you know, and uh, someone had given me this big longhorn from Texas that I used as a shofar, and I would blow it, you know. And so we got to the border crossed over into Canada. It was late at night. There was still an Asian restaurant open, you know. We got in the parking lot of the Asian restaurant, got my two little kids outside, and we, we created a memorial. We created a remembrance. I took the horn out. I'll never forget one of my little girls, I forget who it was. It might have been Lauren, actually, who said, are we gonna, we're gonna blow the horn, Dad? And she was like three years old or something like that. And I got the horn out in the parking lot of an Asian restaurant about 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> You know, nothing happened. Asian people looked out at me and probably called the police. I don't know. They were, they were looking at me like, well, I don't know what, well, it's an American. They saw my plate. They're crazy anyway. But anyway, we went, established a church. Eight years later, uh, on my on a sabbatical into the United States, still living in Canada, I heard about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto, which was exactly what I'd been waiting for. And I had this 10-week sabbatical that was such a great gift with my family. Now, I had four kids that I couldn't go back to that right away. I finished the sabbatical and get back home. So in April, April of 1994, I get back. I collect a group of guys not thinking about this at all. I go over to Toronto. We get blasted by the Holy Spirit. You've heard my story. I've told it many times here. I mean, it was a pivotal moment. It was a life changer. It, It shaped me for the rest of my life, no doubt. And it turns out it was on April 13th, the exact day I'd crossed over into Canada eight years earlier 
The Lord waited eight years, and on that day, the Holy Spirit poured out like he said he promised me and gave me two more years with the Holy Spirit pouring out in Canada and then some years traveling around the world and everything else. So I looked at April, and it is a, it is a rock in my life. It's a memorial in my life. It's, April is Steve Witt. It's, it's what, how God's moved in my life. It's been important to me. It's been important to my family without them even knowing it. Certain things we did growing up, I would sing to all my kids, especially my girls, I'd sing to them songs. They want me to sing them songs at night when we go to bed. I'd sing them songs about their future husbands and things like that. It's funny. They would cry, and they would, you know, they would really, they would get emotionally touched by it. Josh, not so much, but the three girls, they were, they were amazed by it, you know. And I had other words for Josh, but, uh, but the three girls, I'd sing to them, and they would just, oh, they would just love it, you know, and talk about what they're going to be doing, who they're going to be, you know. What was I doing? I'm marking memories in their life. First time we went to Louisiana as a family, I created a song for him. It wasn't totally accurate, but it was a good attempt. And, I, and I'd get in the car, because we were having, we were living in eastern Canada, so Louisiana was like between here and the moon. It was like a long way off for, for four-year-olds, six-year-olds, and so forth. And so we get in our Astro van. <laughs> I always felt a little bit, you know, moon-like or something. We get in our Astro, Chevy Astro van. We headed on a 2,500-mile trip to Ruston, Louisiana. So on the way, I knew it was going to be difficult because it's, I forget how many hours it was, but it was a lot. We called them sesames. Sesame Street was an hour long, so they, how much longer do we have? We have five sesames. And somehow in their mind, they were able to last that five sesames. So on the way down, I started singing. They said, where are we going, Dad? I said, Louisiana. Going down to Louisiana. We call it Louisiana. That's the way they call it. Going down to Louisiana. Catfish jumping in the pond. Catfish don't jump, but anyway, it was sounded good. Catfish jumping in the pond. Going to catch me, big crawl dad. Going down to Louisiana. Going down, going down, going down to Louisiana. I look in the rearview mirror and they're back there. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm marking the moment, creating a memory. Ashley still tries to do this now. She can't quite get it right, but anyway, it's really close periodically we'll just get in a moment and our family will go going down to Louisiana and that's like 30 years ago so what's it did it marked their life we we tried to mark each of their lives with adventure and, and they're an adventurous group we tried to mark their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit we kept them in me we'd bring their sleeping bags to revival meetings and just lay them on the floor in the back and they'd fall asleep, they'd lay on the floor, they'd be with us, you know. We, we, at one time we had nightly, why do we do that? Because I am determined to establish in their very soul. Now their future, it says here, and when they roam, and they'll roam. And when they roam, I roamed when I was a teenager. When you roam, it's still going to be there. And when you go to bed, it's still going to be there. And when you rise up, it's still going to be there. Why? It is the law of the mother that's been attached to you, and it turns out it was also the law of Moses. So Moses speaks to them before they cross over. They are now standing at the River Jordan, ready to cross over into the promises of God. It's a huge step of faith. Moses is not going with them. They just have Joshua. It says, now this is my commandment, and these are my statues, Deuteronomy 6. And judgments which the Lord God has commanded to teach you that you observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. In other words, who you've been, who you are in becoming, and wilderness is all about identity, who you are becoming then can step in, but you carry that with you into the promises of God. 
Wow. I mean, when I stepped on stages in Japan and China and Australia, went to Australia eight times, crowds of people, Holland out in the field in a tent with 3,000 people. When you step on a stage there, who you've been, who you are, is carried into a place of amazing lack of sufficiency. I mean, you stand up there like, oh, God, you got the wrong guy, Lord. I'm not ready for this yet. No, you've crossed over. You've crossed over. Bring your heritage of your mother and your grandmother. Bring it with you. Bring it with you because it's identified who you are and you will stand out in this crowd, not because of how good you are or what you might be able to do or how you might perform, but because of the history that comes with you into the moments I brought you out into so that you can go into. Let's read a little bit further here. Hopefully this attaches to your life. It says that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over into, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and commandments which I command you you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. This life in Christ is meant to be a long life. It really is. Sorry, I'm having a hard time reading it. I got tears in my eyes here. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that, you may be we- that things may be well with you. You may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. A land flowing with milk and honey. If the Lord promises, says in Hebrews, there is a better promise, a better covenant in Christ. If this is the covenant of the Old Testament, there's a better promise for you even now. You can anticipate and claim these things in the Old Testament and beyond. You can live long. You can live in strength. I mean, I've been through a lot of difficulties. You know in my life, heart, cancer, I'll tell you, what carried me through it, though, is my mom and my grandma. They're both passed away. But what they put in me, the law of the mother, into my heart kept me through these times to be able to stand fast and move ahead. Verse 4 says, this is the the Shema, the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. It says, in these words, I command you today shall be in your heart. Now listen to this. Verse 7 and following is so important for those of you who are mothers, fathers, grandparents. Grandparents still have a role in helping shape children and teenagers. It says this, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Listen to all those winds. When you sit down, when you walk, When you lie down, when you rise up, you're going to talk about this. This is the 24-7 Christian life. You are consumed by the blood and love of Jesus Christ. You're consumed by his story. His story is history. And so you read on, it says, this is part of it. It says, says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, speaking of the mind, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. In other words, every step you take, you're being reminded, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It clears your mind. It keeps you steady when culture is polluting you with all kinds of strange thoughts. You need to be the ones that stand out. Why? Because you know who you are. We've got now, I think, up to 100 genders that you can choose from. Somebody doesn't know who they are. 
As a believer, you begin to speak into it. You know who you are. You say, oh, no, I have no right to do that. Yes, you do. And when you get the courage to begin to speak those things out, you will see the power of truth coming into an environment that's being smothered with lies and deception and falsehoods and reinterpretations of words that we've been using for years. How can those who demand tolerance be the most intolerant? God's calling for believers to understand tolerance, for believers to understand community, for believers to understand the word of the Lord, for believers to understand, I've talked with Christians recently that question whether living with someone or having sex with someone before your marriage is really wrong. Does the Bible, Bible doesn't speak to that. I said, what Bible are you reading? I was much calmer than that. I'm like, it doesn't speak of that? What are you talking about? It's actually like the number one thing in the New Testament. Every time Paul talks about it, he talks about sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is having sex with somebody who is not your spouse. Adultery is having sex with somebody who's not your spouse after you're married. It's simple. I'd have you repeat it, but it sounds kind of primitive to do that, so I won't, I won't do it. It's very easy. You go, well, what does that really mean? think you understand I mean the woman at the well how many husbands does she have seen five husbands and he says and the one you are with is not your husband so he's addressing that she's living with somebody who's not a husband living with somebody does not make somebody your husband there's a vow that comes out of it. In our, in our country, we give you a little license. You go through a little ceremony. There's various ways to do it. But there's a lifetime vow that you make with your spouse. And there's something supernatural. I haven't quite figured it out yet. Because, because Christ is the groom and the church is the bride, the reason it's such a defilement of Christianity when you do that and to your own soul is because it's speaking directly to the analogy or the metaphor that God uses. The bride of Christ is the church. And Jesus is the bride. And so when we dislocate that for whatever intentions and purposes, it goes right to the core of Christianity. And we're talking about a restoration between a broken bride that somehow by the grace of God is being made without a spot or wrinkle by the grace of God. That even in marriage, it will tune you up. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you get married, you're going to be a different person 30 years from now. I can prophesy that with confidence. Your wife will be different, you'll be different. Or your husband will be different, you'll be different. And so God moves through that. So these things, we teach them. We teach them to our children. You need to teach some things as righteous perspectives that is good for a man and a woman to get married. You say, what about if you're, you know, you're just burning in lust? Well, Paul gave a little pointer about that and said, well, you, you need to get married. You need to get married. You use self-control. Slave will, sin will not be your master, but you need to do what you need to do. When you do that, you set standards. You set an understanding. I'm not talking about a law that keeps you out of heaven, although I think some people are living in ways that will keep them out of the purposes of God. So I'm finishing, verse 10, I'll, I'll go through this again next week. Tell your friends and family and bring them all uh, for Mother's Day. Uh, concluding this, go to verse 16. It says, 
Now, let's jump to verse 20 because it's late. When your son asks you in times to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments? In other words, why do we believe, why do we go to church, mom and dad? You shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household. And I love this verse. I, sent, I texted it to a guy this morning, Sean Smith down in Columbus. And it says this, he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. Let me just say that right now. He brought us out to bring us in. He brought us out. Everyone say it together. He brought us out to bring us in. He brought you out to bring you into something. He brought you out of darkness to bring you into the promises. And it says to give you, so it's not only bringing you in, but he's going to give you the land for which he swore to the fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe, observe by his statues, to fear the Lord God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. This is our life. Bondage, wilderness, liberty, and inheritance in Christ. Bondage, wilderness, liberty, and inheritance to Christ. This is your story. Let's all stand together if we could. I think Jay's going to come up. Run, Jay, run. This book I'd recommend, I'm going to be referring to it uh, this week, next week, and probably through the month of May. is called Live Not By Lies. Uh, it's by uh, Rod Dreher, who's an Orthodox Christian. Um, He's got an amazing story. You can get stuff on YouTube. But this book, um, the center of it will change your life. It will. It, it'll give you clarity on what's going on in the country right now. It'll help you in navigating and preparing your family for the, for the resistance that God is calling us into. So let's just kind of close your eyes for Lord Jay's going to lead us here in a moment. We'll move on to the next thing. Yeah. Close your eyes. Turn your faces up towards heaven. What a rich word. So much to take in, so much to absorb. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now, as our posture is turned up towards heaven, Father, would you cause everything that was deposited, everything that Pastor Steve just said, even in the nuance and the spirit and the heart behind each word, as it's hovering in this room right now, Father, that we would begin to see not just our history, but the future that you intend for us in the light of who we were and to who you've brought us to be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Pastor C was talking about all those trips, and it is true. My kids are trying really hard to sing that Louisiana, Louisiana song. <laughs> and we just recently went on vacation, and my son Max, he typically has a hard time in the car for a long time, but we're trying to do the same. You see, Pastor Steve and Cindy, they put adventure in the hearts of their children, and we'd love to continue that legacy with ours. And so we told them, hey, you got to just kind of go with the flow. And we notice after about four hours that Max is sitting there. He's just totally calm. The girls are having a hard time. And he leans over to us and he goes, Mom, I'm in the flow. Are you in the flow this morning? Come on, there's a lot of things in life to be stressed out about and worried about. But the truth is, you fast forward your life two years from now, three years from now, 
You gonna remember what you're struggling with right now? Probably not. Let me tell you something you would remember. How the Holy Spirit would touch your heart this morning if you were to open up to him completely. So in this room or online, if your heart's closed off to the Lord, if you look at the fruit and you look at the, if you can't remember the last conversation you had with him that didn't sound like just a panicked request, <laughs> I think we've all been there. He's calling out to you this morning. So if that's you and you'd like to give your heart back to Jesus, I, w- I just want you to put your hand over your heart. This is my favorite part of the service, not just because people who have never known Jesus come home, but it recalibrates our hearts back to what's most important, that there are so many things that can steal our affections and our time and our focus, but the Holy Spirit has a way and a rhythm like Pastor Steve was talking about of creating history, those moments where he touched our heart that tether us to that, that moment as a monument, an altar that tethers us in difficult times, a place where we can put our feet on firm ground and a place that we stand on when the future is uncertain and we find that it's just as sure and strong as it was in the memory. And then it comes alive and it, and it reinvigorates you. So put your hand over your heart if you need to give your heart to Jesus or if you're far from him and you need to recalibrate. You need him to reach in because you can't remember the last time you authentically heard his voice. Father, I pray all over this room, center our hearts. Jesus, Thank you that when you died on the cross, you paid every price, every sin that we could ever come up with in our mind. God was covered by the blood of Jesus. So Father, I ask that you would forgive us of our sins, that we would submit our lives to you, that it wouldn't just be a prayer that we pray and that we wait for heaven to see the fruition and the manifestation, but God, that we would give you an invitation this morning that would start to shift up some things in our lives, start to shake us up. God, that we start to hear your voice maybe at times that are, uncomfortable or inconvenient, but wake us up to what you're doing in the earth. Come into my life. I surrender in Jesus' mighty name. If you pray that I have decided, text your name and email to that number on the screen. We would love to pray for you. I got to tell you though, I'm so excited to do life with you. I'm so excited to be a part of this church and what God's doing. How does it feel to be in a place where you walk in these doors and you're confident that you're going to receive a word that's going to transform your life. Not just one that is for heaven or to help you be a better person, but one that speaks to what you're living in and what it could be with the Spirit's involvement. Amen? Come on, let me bless you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I bless every single one of you. May you hear his voice stronger than you ever have. May you have memory and touch points that flash before your mind's eye, even now, of when the Lord invaded your life, of when he called you, when he first saved you, when he resurrected dead dreams. All of those touch points where the spirit became real, all those bondage into wilderness and into the promise. And I just bless you to hear the word of the Lord today, that you are exiting the wilderness season and he is inviting you into the promise season that dreams that you've been holding on to for years are about to spring forth into life why because it's time it's the season you're stepping out of the wilderness and into the promise in jesus mighty name everyone said amen pastor cindy Hey, just want to remind you, uh, next week is Mother's Day, right? 
And um, next week we're launching our children's ministry. So today after service, right now, if you are interested in being a volunteer or helping us with children's ministry, we have lunch provided for you. We'd like you to join us in the old sanctuary all the way out back. You want to come up here? Come on up here. And if you um, are a parent and have children, they're having lunch right afterwards. And uh, we're really encouraging parents to participate in the children's ministry. Um, and that's right after, right in our, um, our old sanctuary in the back. And they're going to provide lunch and your kids can come. Yeah. Thanks, Pastor Cindy. Y'all have a nice week. We'll see you next week. Join us for our children's ministry training.